Good evening, everyone. It's time for Necromaniacs Podcast. How's it going, Mike? Hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. I'm doing good. Good to be back. Good to be here. We are uh, mid-September, almost late September. Still a little hot out, Mike. What do you think? Yeah, according to uh, my instrumentation here, it's uh, 74 degrees outside, and it's uh, after after 9 p.m., so it is a little hot. A little hot. Today's the, the first day of fall. Uh, we're doing this on October 22nd, and uh, horror movie season is creeping up, man. I, uh, I've, been, I've been watching a little Joe Bob's uh, drive-in every night a little bit, and uh, most recently I actually watched the episode where they – Talk about uh, Class of 84. Great oh, yeah. episode. That's a great one, man. Uh, he's such a genius, that guy. I fucking love that dude. <laughs> he really is. I mean, you know, I, I, I've gotten my props over the years for my horror knowledge, and, and of course our podcast has, has gotten our pats on the back, but I, I would only want to aspire to be near the, the greatness and knowledge of Joe Bob, Mike. He really is a, uh, you know, a renaissance man in the world of horror, let's say. Mm. Yeah. And it's funny. He, it, it's more than horror. He, he kind of just busts out stuff about film in general during the episodes, too, man. Like, just film noir and, and, and classics. Like, he just, he just knows everything. It just comes right out of his mouth. It's pretty, pretty fucking awesome. Well, you know, he is an actual journalist. Like, that's, that's, and, you know, Joe Bob Briggs is not his actual name. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's kind of how I mean, you know, he, he did the Monster Vision back in the day, but he was he, he wrote movie reviews and was a writer. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, Joe Bob Briggs, the stage name His actually his, actually his name is John Bloom. Hmm. Oh, that's right. Yep. I yeah. think I knew that. Yeah. So, you know, he's got a pretty deep, um, you know, background and that's why he can bust out all of his like socio, you know, sociological, uh, you know, factoids that he sprinkles into his commentary, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the male girl. I, I got to say, I dig her. Well, you know, uh, you know what her background is, right, Mike? Why, yes, I do know what her background <laughs> is. Yeah. She's a uh, former adult film actress. Yes, I do know. I mean, somebody told me. It's not like I knew. I mean, I didn't really know, but, you know. Diana these, Prince. These, yeah, yes. These are things that, you know, just kind of fall, you know, fall into your lap, as they say. But, uh, yeah, she's fucking great. Uh, she's a great addition to, you know, his whole spiel. And the, I love the back and forth. And, I mean, talk about two people you'd, you'd want to just kind of hang out with and, you know, talk about movies and drink alcohol with you know definitely also the thing i love about the show is when they break the fourth wall like where there's there's always like like the producers get involved and the other people <laughs> yeah. in the crew and you know yep. yeah and I, I thought that's that's a lot of fun and uh speaking of, of shutter um it was uh cassandra peterson elvira's uh birthday the other day and she just put a brand new book out uh, an autobiography which i'd like to check out and uh, Shudder's going to have uh, a show, I guess, you know, similar to what Joe Bob does with her, which is going to be fucking great. Oh, man, that's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Totally, totally going to watch that. Um, the more the merrier. I mean, I, Horror Hosts, I think, is is a cool thing. And, you know, MeTV has Sven Gulli. And, I mean, I, I'm i about all of it, man. Bring, bring it on. <laughs> 
Absolutely. So let's give our shout outs. Uh, you know, we got Brandon Legion, Horror Wolf 666. What's up, Brandon? Fellow podcaster, fellow horror enthusiast, and also mm-hmm. friend of the show. Friend of the show. And of course, uh, we have to mention our friends at Break the Apocalypse podcast. Uh, new episodes of Break the Apocalypse come out every Friday morning. Be sure to check that out. Uh, what's up to my brother John and B Show Brian and Shaheen? Thank you guys for your weekly plug. And in turn, you get your weekly plug. <laughs> Hell yeah. Have you been checking what, anything what? out, man? Anything cool, reading, uh, you know, watching, anything to come across your desk that's worth mentioning? Um, I am firmly ensconced in uh, the Freak Show book after I, I finally put to bed, uh, you know, the, the prior Brian Keene novel. Uh, very cool so far. I, I'm digging it. Um, I forgot uh, how much of a downer <laughs> urban gothic. Oh yeah, Jeez, yeah. man, kind of. It's like it, it's it, it had had that reminiscent kind of feel of like the very end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where uh, what's her name uh, is just like she's screaming and she's all bloodied and she's a mess, and you know you know Leatherface is dancing in the field at the end of this book. The poor uh, girl, the, the last one to live out of the, the, the six friends who were all dead in the house due to the freaks. And it's just kind of a real heavy ending, actually. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and uh, I was actually in Camden a couple of uh, like last week, believe it or not, where the, where the, the book actually takes place. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, totally, uh, you know one of the darker Keen novels. And uh, today is actually Brian Keene's birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. Keene, uh, September 22nd. I believe he is 54 years old. He's a, he's a Gen Xer, like uh, you and I, Mike. That's right. Uh, yeah. Many more to you, Mr. Keene. Uh, as far as watching, uh, yeah, I've, I've been watching a lot of, like, the Joe Bob stuff, and I've been watching the Mets lose uh, <laughs> the games. Uh, it is not easy to be a New York Mets fan. Uh, it's, you know, September baseball is very important. You kind of need to win every single game if you can, and they're not really doing that. So, you know, you hope they make it to October baseball, but it is not easy for the Mets to do that. So, uh, yeah. And uh, what else? I've also been watching just kind of like weird <laughs> random things to help me sleep right you know yeah because i've been having some some sleep issues uh i mean last night i think i didn't literally fall asleep till like after four o'clock and i have to start working at nine so you you figure that out listeners as to you know how great that is um so yeah i mean i'm trying to like de-stress at night and, and that's not easy to do man yeah, man. Uh, I have also been having trouble sleeping. Uh, you know, it sucks. I hate I hate not being able to sleep. I know. I, I, weekends, Friday night, Saturday night, I, I, I sleep wonderfully. <laughs> it's, it's the rest of the nights of the week, which uh, can be a pain in the ass. So, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to do a little bit of reading and then trying to, like, not, like, watch anything and just, you know, 
drink some some decaf tea and <laughs> yeah it's uh been weird but uh, i'm gonna be moving soon so maybe that's keeping me up at night and uh you know i had a bit of a health scare listeners um but i'm out of the woods with that health scare which is a good thing it was uh i had an angiogram done of my heart if anyone knows what that is out there um it was weird uh and before that i had what's called a nuclear stress test and um shit kind of knocked me on my ass a bit but uh the the outcome was good and uh old mike is going to be okay which is good and uh yeah so i'm i'm very happy about that I'm glad to hear that, man. That's that's some scary shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, listeners out there, if, if your body's telling you something and if you have uh, medical insurance, please go to the doctor. Uh, that That's I don't like to tell anybody what to do, but I just told you what to do. <laughs> uh, your health is, is literally the, the most important thing you have, I think, in this life. Your health is literally number one. Uh, your physical health and uh, mental health tag team. So, uh, yeah, that's that, man. What about you, Mike? Uh, well, um, speaking of Brian Keene, I actually saw the movie version of Ghoul. Oh. did you Have, have you ever seen that? Yes, I have seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I got to say, I did not enjoy it. Well, the book is about a million times better. Right. Uh, have you read the book? Yes. The book is great. The movie was like men's amends. You know what I mean? It wasn't very good. Yeah. It was like, um, it seemed it it seemed almost like a lifetime like TV Sunday right. kind of thing, you know? It's, a, it's TV movie-esque. Uh, exactly. And that's what I remember. Uh, I haven't seen it in a little bit. But I, I remember thinking to myself, like, this is kind of TV movie-esque. And, I mean, it was a, a good effort, you know? A good, I mean, a modest effort. I mean, was it a home run? No. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's time for somebody to, to fucking get some quality loot behind one of his properties, you know? And, uh, I mean, there's just so much to choose from. I mean, hell, I would I'd even like to see Ghoul redone at this point. But, I mean, th there's other things that, uh, that can be made into movies, obviously. Such a potentially great film. Scary. Mm. Like, could have been just, like, so creepy, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I think any writer that, that gets to have one of his, his uh, pieces of work turned into a movie, I mean, it's got to be a proud fucking moment, you know? Um, but I guess even, even if it's not that great, you're, you're probably still pretty fucking excited and happy. Yeah. No, I'm sure he got, you know, made money, you know, put some money in his pocket by doing that. You're getting the rights to make a film out of his book. Mm -hmm. And, and it good. eyes, I mean, it puts eyes on him that, uh, you know, I'm sure he found new readers from it. Uh, definitely, you know? Um, and I, I just think that, you know, look, He's not Stephen King, but he's not like a guy uh, trying to get an article published. You know, he, he's he does well. And, and I, I think there's still a future ahead of him as, as far as even more success. And uh, I hope it comes his way. Yeah, no, totally, man. On the other side of the spectrum, have you heard of uh, Chapel Wait, the uh, TV show? 
No, I have not. Dude, so good. It's on Epics, and um, <laughs> it's uh, an adapt, sort of an adaption of, of Jerusalem's Lot, the Stephen King short story. That's the precursor oh. to Salem's Lot. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it's got a, it stars Adrian Brody. Uh-huh. And uh, I think, what episode are I up to? I think I watched the first, I think I'm caught up. I think five episodes are out. And um, fucking great, man. Slow burn. It's like, it does. It's really sets the, the, the tone. It takes its time setting the tone and the atmosphere of the story, you know, working with the characters. And then it, the weird stuff starts happening around episode four. And then you get to see what's going on. And I'm like, this is such a masterfully done, well-paced show. And um, one of the cool things is it uh, features the Devermis Mysterious, which is um, you know a little tie-in to H.P. Lovecraft and Robert Block. You know, oh wow! Yeah, Mystery of the Worm. It's a you know it's this, this ancient tome that has all this power. You know, and um, yeah, I, I, I love when that shit happens when they steal from different um, you know different authors' mythologies and they incorporate that. You know, it's so cool. And um, yeah, so that's. I highly recommend that to anyone out there who's unaware of this movie or this uh, TV show. And actually, uh, Brandon Legion's the guy who turned me on to this. See, Epics, I mean, look, I've made jokes about how many goddamn apps I have. I don't have Epics. So um, I'll have to probably find another way to watch it, maybe once the season wraps. Yeah. But uh, it sounds really cool, though. Shit. I, I um. It's funny with the apps, you know what I mean? Because you can end up spending like $1,000 on all these $5 a month apps, you know? Um, yeah. I, I'll like, I trade them out. Like every like if I'm not watching one particular network, if I find that I'm, all right, I'm not watching Paramount. but Because mm. I, I don't consistently have epics. Like mm. when, when, um, when I saw that War of the Worlds was coming, I, I, turned, you know, I turned it on. Boom. Subscribe for however long the show's going. You know, turn it off. Yeah, I should just do that. Yeah, like, it's I, like you don't I, spend. Yeah, you, know, you, you end do up. That, but I never end up doing it. Yeah, yeah, you manage how much you spend, and it's you just got to pay attention. It does. You know, there's no reason why you can't turn it back on. You know, it's that's how I do it. So, you know, then Very of course, cool. of course, there's some that I'm just constantly watching, like like HBO and you know Shutter and Hulu and stuff like that. Yeah, like there are ones that take precedent: HBO, Shutter, HBO, Shutter, Hulu, Amazon, and. Yeah. Uh, Disney Plus, I enjoy. Um, I, I dove into um, the Marvel What If cartoon. Oh, yeah, man. I want to check that out. Yeah. Pretty good. I got to say, I don't like that they're not doing any of the actual What If stories from any of the comics, which is weird. They're not doing, you know, like some of the marquee ones that you would have thought they would have done. They're doing like brand new ideas. And some of them are good, and some of them I don't give a rat's ass about. So it's kind of uneven, but it's cool. Uh, it's probably Marvel's best uh, animation attempt that they've ever done, or at least, you know, since a very long time ago. I mean, DC kind of wipes the floor with them in the animation stuff, um, whereas Marvel kind of wipes the floor with them in the movie stuff. Right. So, <laughs> this is definitely uh, their best uh, animated fare. Um but I don't know. I'm not loving the stories. I, it's funny. I read an article recently that talked about how, how like negative and dark they all are, and they are, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but 
I don't know. Some some of the actual ideas I'm not loving. Like, like what if T'Challa, Black Panther, was the Star Lord? Who gives a rat's ass about that? It's like, I, <laughs> like I want, like I don't know. I, I want stuff that's a little more meaty. But then there's one about where, you know, all the Avengers get killed before they even meet. Like they get ki- like one by one, like serial killed. It's kind of that's a, that was a good one. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And there's just ones that are based on like death a lot. Like the death of people, which is great, you know. So that's kind of what I want to see. But then there's ones that are just like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> Were you ever a, a Star Lord reader, like in the comic books, like the OG version of Star Lord? No, I wasn't a big cosmic guy, man. Yeah. I was not a big cosmic guy. Um, I, I, there was a time, uh, listeners, you know, uh, I had a comic store, which was how me and Mike met when Marvel was kind of like on fire back then. And I, and I was really liking that. This was the time of the civil war stuff. Yeah. Yep. And secret invasion. And this was in the, 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 the late O's and Marvel and DC were kind of both really on fire. Um, and then, I don't know, comics took a turn for me in the teens. And I basically stopped reading Marvel first. And then I stopped reading DC um, I still love the medium and I still, you know, I love superheroes and, and I kind of keep up with what's going on, but I no longer buy books. Um, I feel like my, my run, my era is over. What do you think about that? Mike? I, feel you know, like- I, I tend to agree with that, but I, mm-hmm. I, I'm more, I've, I've been diving more. I definitely, I don't read anything that Marvel and DC has published in a long time. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I've been buying a lot of trades great yeah yeah and i still love reading comics there's a lot of pretty good horror comics out there you know that are mm. happening there's um uh you know the alan moore stuff like the all of his like hp lovecraft like providence like that kind of yeah, stuff well, I read, yeah i was reading those those are fucking wonderful actually. yeah i mean i just got a trade the trade that just came out for providence you know and like hellboy and uh but I, I do the trades, you know what I mean? I like Image has some pretty cool stuff. Like I think I'm going back and I'm rereading like uh, 100 Bullets. Oh, um, nice. You know, some of the Vertigo titles from back then. Um, yeah, but like it's, I always have my eyes and ears open for something that like a more alternative publisher might be doing. Like, a, like an Image title or a Dark Horse or something like that. Because they just... I don't, Marvel and DC just failed me, man. You know what I mean? And, and it's like I, I pretty much um, gave up on them. It's not my Marvel anymore. It's not my DC anymore. I'm, I'm a 48-year-old man, and I don't think the writing isn't for me. To, to a large degree, the art isn't even for me. Yeah. Um, so I just think my, my time has ended, but that's fine, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about comics. But I do keep up with I keep up with the movies to a decent degree uh, for both Marvel and DC. I'm a little behind in Titans right now, uh, the, the show on HBO Max, but I enjoy the hell out of it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm more into records right now. Uh, I'm more into you know uh, merch actually, Mike. I'm on like this <laughs> thing, uh, you know, a lot a lot of classic death metal merch and and shit like that. Um, I'm just more in tune with different things. So, yeah, I mean, comics, I think, have literally, uh, for the new shit, they've run their course for me, and that's fine. And, you know, concentrating more on horror stuff and movies and, 
and other things, you know, such as life. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of great stuff, though, from that to rediscover, you know what I mean, from back in the 70s and, you know, 80s and 90s yeah. and things like that, which is like what I've been kind of into right now. Like I said, the um, I got a trade of all the old Star-Lord stuff and, I, and the old school, like the, the, the non-funny, the non-wisecracking Star-Lord, mm. I thought was brilliant. You know, he was yeah, just... like I think the Bronze Age and and the early modern age is my shit. You know, like, but I think at a certain point in the O's and in, in the a certain point specifically in the teens, it was all over. Something happened. <laughs> like, I, I would say was, up to 2010, it was still pretty solid because I was yeah, all about well, no, you know, 10 and 11. And, yeah. well, no, absolutely, but. Yeah, man. I don't know. I just maybe I, maybe I got older. My my brain just went a different way. But it is what it is. Well, I'm gonna say that you know who you can't go wrong with is the work of Ed Brubaker. Oh yeah, like, he's he's fucking great, dude. And, and he's putting out regular stuff. And I, as trades, like you buy the the story arcs come out in trade format. Right. And, uh, you know, there's this thing called Reckless, which is, uh, you know, another character. It's related to his whole criminal, um, like that whole world. Hmm. So good. It's so good. Brilliant. You know, and um, the, what's his artist? Sean Phillips? Yeah, dude, I love his Hell, Hellblazer run back in the day. Yeah. Like, look, classic Vertigo is my shit. Um, uh, Batman of the 70s, 80s, 90s is my shit. Um you know, certain things I will never tire of. I will never stop celebrating and enjoying. But I think it's time to let other people have comics, new comics. I do. Yeah, but like, but like I said, you know, there's stuff out there that's great, though, like the Ed Brubaker stuff. That's crime, you know, crime, that kind of hard-boiled stuff. Yeah, no, not the, not the hero yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, the hero no. stuff is like I go back to the old school. Totally, totally. Now, listeners, if you have... Nothing in your life to do with comics. I apologize for the last uh, 20 minutes. But, you know, that's what this show is all about. We take these little twists and turns, right, Mike? Yeah, that's what it's all about, man. You know. <laughs> that's why you're here, you yeah. know, for the little, for the little diversions. But uh, if you've been paying attention the last few weeks and if you've been paying attention to our Instagram, uh, tonight we are finally biting the bullet and we are discussing the 1978 classic invasion of the body snatchers finally <laughs> yeah well i um you know stumbled upon this movie i haven't seen you know about a month ago i watched it and i was like man this movie really fucking holds up man and and i hadn't seen it probably in a good 15 years maybe might have been the last time i watched this movie mm. uh honestly i watched it in 2020 at, um uh, maybe the winter time or sometime in the fall of 2020. And I was just glued to the TV. And that, now that was the first time watching it in a good little while as well. And I, I mean, I don't even know why we didn't even, uh, you know, I didn't bring it up back then to you that I watched it. And I was just like so floored by it all over again. But it, it, uh, there was a, a group text with me, Mike and Jeff listeners and Mike brought it up. And I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, this was like a while back. And then I, I immediately rewatched it around the time of the group text. And it was just like dawned on me that 
Uh, I honestly think this is one of the greatest horror remakes ever. Um, certainly up there with John Carpenter's The Thing and with David Cronenberg's The Fly. I'll put this as, as a trinity of, uh, of movies from the 50s that got remade, you know, in the 70s, 80s that are literally better than the original. 100%, even though the original is not too shabby. No. Um, last night, uh, I watched the uh, original Black and White Invasion of Body Snatchers from uh, the 50s, from 1956, and it is a fucking great movie in its own right. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a short film. It's only 80 minutes long. It packs quite a punch. Very different ending. Uh, some of the dialogue is the same. It's kind of cool. There are all these very nice little nods in the 78 movie to the uh, 56 movie, Mike, which is really cool. And I'll talk a little bit about that later on in the podcast. Also, it's mentioned that this is a, a, a film adaption of the novel, The Body Snatchers by Jack Finney, which I have not read yet. No, neither have I. Um, it, was a, it was a huge hit, the book. Um, and, you know, which is what, you know, begat uh, the film, uh, you know, the original film in the 50s. And, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely want to read it. Um, I'm wondering how different it'll be, you know, from the movie. Um, the book dropped in 55. They got that movie out of 56. So it must have must have packed quite a punch back then. Totally. Now, there's been two other remakes. Well, one is a well, they're I wouldn't say they're remakes. They're loosely adapted mm -hmm. from these storylines. Mm -hmm. And um you know, believe it or not, Abel Ferrara was one of the people to remake this or make a, a version of this film called The Body yeah. Snatchers. Mm -hmm. In the early 90s, 93, right, Mike? Yes, 1993. And uh the screenplay was by Stuart Gordon, who we you know, we all love, him, you know, the late great Stuart Gordon. Yes. And then there was in 2007, The Invasion, which features Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman. Yes, I have seen that movie. I yeah. saw it back when it came out. Need to see it again. Uh, I was only able to squeeze in so much. Uh, I squeezed in another watching of the 78 film and a watching of the 50s film. But uh, definitely, definitely will watch the Ferrara movie and re-watch the uh, Nicole Kidman film. But tonight is about literally the best of the fucking bunch. The 1978 film by uh, director Philip, Kauf Philip Kaufman uh, with a screenplay by W.D. Richter. Uh, yeah, this movie dropped in December, December 22nd, 1978. Um, the budget for this movie was only $3.5 million. And in America alone, it grossed $25 million. You know, it's, I'm surprised the budget was that low considering the firepower they had in the cast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I believe the, the shoot was only, was only like a two-month, under three-month shoot um, shot entirely on location in San Francisco, which is great. I mean, the, the movie has, the, has a great feel to it. Um, you know, San Francisco in, in the late 70s is uh, obviously a very different San Francisco from 2021. Uh, but I think the city is a character in itself, Mike, you know, as they say. Yeah, totally. It's, it's got a, 
a very distinctive feel and atmosphere in this movie, you know, and, and it's shot really well. It's kind of shot in this like artsy sort of fashion. Mm hmm. Uh, wonderful cast starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Veronica Cartwright, Jeff Goldblum, who, of course, went on to uh, be a star. You know, he, he was making his bones around this time, but he went on to be a, a megastar with a fly years later. Uh, and uh, the incomparable Leonard Nimoy. Um, really cool cast. A moody, moody film, Mike. That's a word I'm going to use. It's moody. We also have to mention that Art Hindle was in this, the Canadian Art Yeah, Hindle. that's right. Art Hindle of Black Christmas fame and, of course, The Brood. Um, he's got like a, a very cool one, two, three punch there with Black Christmas, The Brood, and Body Snatchers, huh? One of my favorite Canadians. Yeah, oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, man, if you have not seen this movie, listeners, I mean, we're going to, I mean, we're going to, we're going to talk about it quite frankly and openly. And, and of course we're going to have spoilers, but e even if you listen to the whole podcast, just make it a point to see the movie. If you have not, uh, despite these spoilers, um, it is just something that I think is going to stay with you as it's kind of stayed with me kind of all over again as I've watched it. Um, one of the coolest things about this movie uh, is, I, I think, with the special effects, it's all on, on camera, in camera effects. You know, uh, it's the 70s, so it, it, it doesn't have that kind of slick kind of look to it. It all looks very like, you know, hyper real. Right, Mike? Oh, yeah, it looks great. And um, that, I mean, it's no surprise that, you know, we, we love practical effects and, mm -hmm. and tangible things happening, you know. And that, that's, this movie is all about that, you know. Oh, totally. Um, very interestingly enough, okay, there are some cameos in this movie. There are three very interesting cameos in this movie. Number one, Mike, did you know Robert Duvall is in this movie? I did, actually. He was the priest on the swing. <laughs> he was the priest on the swing. And apparently, uh, according to this, this cool featurette documentary I watched, he is uh, the first uh, pod person. He is, he is kind of patient zero in San Francisco. Ah, okay. All right. Um, another cool cameo is the director of the 1956 film, Don Siegel himself. He is the taxi driver uh, in the scene with Donald Sutherland and uh, Brooke Adams in the taxi in, in San Francisco, uh, if you can recall that scene. And uh, the coolest cameo, I think, is the star of the 1956 film, Kevin McCarthy, who plays the man running down the street, warning, warning them <laughs> that they're here, which some people now think that this movie could be a sequel and not a remake. A because, sequel? Well, because, no, only because Kevin McCarthy's character is alive at the end of the 50s movie, okay? And it's 20-something years later, and he's an old man, and now he's in a different part of America warning them that they're already here. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of a stretch, though, I think. You know, it, it, it is a stretch, but yeah. some, people, some people online say that this movie, although it's a, you know, it's a remake, 
it the fact that Kevin McCarthy is in it, the star of the fifties movie, and alive says a little it's an interesting little take, you know? Uh, these motherfuckers are wrong about that, man. <laughs> I, I can't I can't I can't abide by that really. I mean Okay, just, yeah. okay. Because, I mean, dude, the movie starts... Actually, you know what? I, this movie is very Lovecraftian, if you think about it. Yes, very. Know? It's like, um, very much like like Color Out of Space. It is. And I'm telling you, your homework is to watch the OG, okay? And then think about the fact that this is a, almost a continuation movie. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I got to say. Watch the original and, and just kind of pay attention to how it ends and about how this guy's character, he's the man in the street in the film who gets run over by the car, the one who pounds on the windshield. Um, it's, just, it's just a weird, cool little nod. I mean, again, it could be a reaching fanboy nod, but I just think it's one of the many great things about this movie that ties to the original. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the, all right. The, the the way the movie starts out, you're on some other world somewhere. This like world, yeah. of, like mucusy, you know, mm -hmm. pod spores that project into outer space and find the planet Earth. So I mean, you know, it's it's all right there. You know, that's how it starts. <laughs> um, great music too, man. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. the score is really creepy. Uh, I, I kind of want to seek out the OG vinyl, the score. Uh, apparently, uh, the guy who scored the film never scored another movie again, which is interesting. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, uh, really cool music. Um, the guy's name is escaping me, unfortunately, because I suck. But, yeah, uh, this movie, like The Shining, for me personally, what makes it so great is right out of the gate, you're a little kind of creeped out and scared. Yeah. Um, because of the music and the visuals. It's like this space, it's super Lovecraft, as Mike said. And it's definitely like a, a movie that I think uh, listeners who've gotten into the cosmic stuff, if this movie has perhaps somehow escaped you, like th th this is going to grab you by the throat. It's gonna be like, oh shit, man. You know, um, it, it's a great, almost like companion movie to color out of space, Mike. Totally. I mean, it's it's a I would I would say this that's that's why I'm interested in reading the book because it fits nicely within that weird fiction realm, you know. Totally. Um, and you know, the, the, these things kind of attach themselves to plant life. The, these pods, these alien pods, uh, we learn that the the these beings, and it's weird to even say the word beings. They come from a dying world and they seek out new worlds to basically take over. And they found Earth and, and, and their first city they, they found was San Francisco. Um, and again, just kind of right out of the gate, it's just real kind of, you know, uncomfortable, right? Totally, you know, and, and you know, right off, right, right off the bat, you, you know, you, you see there, there's um, a, an altered version. Like you, you can tell things are not right, like pretty much in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a, another thing, okay, very, very, very beginning of the movie, there's a priest on a swing in like a park 
And then there's a, wo a woman who I, I'm going to say is a school teacher with these children. And uh, again, on, on that uh, additional watch or two, she tells the kids to pick the flowers. Like, like, and it's the flowers that are the fucked up flowers due to the pods. Is she also perhaps the second pod person? Like, we don't know. There's all this kind of weird shit. Um, again, and also, uh, once you see um, Donald Sutherland kind of, you know, walking through the streets early on, and you see uh, actress Brooke Adams, who plays uh, Elizabeth Driscoll, you almost feel like shit is already kind of underway without knowing shit is underway. Once Again, once you see the film and then go in for a second watch. That's like the total vibe I got with two watches in about a month, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's it's already in like being, and, and you know, this parallels our, you know, this whole like COVID-19, uh, you know, world we live in. Yes. You know, it's already here. No one really knows about it yet. Uh, this is also like one of my, my favorite parts of any kind of infected slash zombie movie where, you know, it hasn't spread yet. Life is normal, yeah. but you're sensing that. Some, yeah, you're sensing that something is not quite right. Totally. Um, Elizabeth Driscoll, uh, who was played by actress, actress Brooke Adams, she's a, a lab scientist. Okay, uh, she brings one of the flowers home, and, and she leaves it uh, at the bedside table. You know, by her, you know, her boyfriend in the bedroom, Jeffrey, who was played by uh, our buddy from Canada. Um, now, the thing is, again, one might think that he is the first victim. But I, again, I, I do not think he is at all. I think it's already hit the city. It's just he kind of becomes the first victim uh, in our POV, you know? Yeah. Uh, due to, you know, the main characters of the film, Right. Yeah, definitely. And also, I just want to add that uh, there, there's kind of a love triangle, a subtle love triangle going on with uh, the Canadian uh, Brooke Adams character and Donald mm -hmm. Sutherland. Yes, they are. They are platonic friends, but, but uh, they're platonic friends who are definitely attracted to each other and they kind of flirt with each other and they have a very good rapport. Um she has a better rapport with him than she does her own living boyfriend. Would you agree? Yeah. And, and I, I like that they included something like that in the storyline. I mean, it plays out, you know, tragically, I guess, if you know, later on in the film, but I, yeah. I, I just thought that human element of it, like, like uh, the Canadians kind of like a dick, you know what I mean? Like a little distant, maybe, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Like not um, very, not very attentive. We don't get to know too much about, about him though i mean not really art Hindle. i mean he's not a dick i mean he's he's watching his sports and he's like a he's like a regular joe yeah you know he's like the regular joe guy san francisco dude whatever <laughs> but then you got come on man who's gonna compete with late 70s donald sutherland mike come on it, that's hard to do you know exactly uh, you know he's like he's Do daddy. yeah donald sutherland's like he's smart he's funny you know, he's like, <laughs> yeah, he has a sense of humor. He also, I don't know, man, he seems to really care about Brooke Adams. And Brooke Adams, huge fan. I've always loved her, man. Yeah, 70s Brooke really Adams, amazing. Yeah. Very pretty in this super cute woman in this movie. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. And then uh, uh, another very cool layer is, is the other uh, the other twosome in the movie, uh, Jeff Goldblum playing Jack Bel- Belichick, who's like a writer, and his girlfriend, uh, Nancy Cartwright, I'm sorry, uh, his wife, actually, Nancy, played by Veronica Cartwright. So we've got like these these four friends, you know, yeah. they kind of hang out together. And then we have Nimoy, who is more Donald Sutherland, Matthew Bennell's friend. But Nimoy and Jeff Goldblum, like Jeff Goldblum kind of hates Nimoy, yeah. uh, Dr. Kibner, because uh, I think he sees that he's kind of, he's very kind of 70s, new agey, like, you know what I'm saying? Like Very, um, very San Francisco 70s. Yeah, um, you know, into this real touchy feely, like, like kind of therapy and stuff like that. Yeah, but the five of them, fantastic characters, Mike. You exactly. know, yeah. Like I, I just, I don't know. Like I, I wanted more. Like it's just kind of this weird, interesting dynamic with the cast. Don't you agree? Well, well, that's what makes it, in my opinion, one of the better films. Really, I mean, it makes it one of the best films. I think yeah, in, in the, yeah. in the best horror sci-fi film of the seventies is. This is one of them because they they create a very believable, likable group of characters, you know. Mm. And the thing about Leonard Nimoy as as uh, as Kribner, Kibner, yeah, Kib- Kibner, sorry, um, dude, it's so tripped out to see Leonard Nimoy as not playing Spock the Vulcan. Yes, like showing now, emotions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Apparently, part of the reason they cast him is because he had that mad sci-fi street cred. And, you know, it's a genius casting. Uh, I got to give props to the fucking scriptwriter. Screenplay by W.D. Richter. It's a fucking great script, great character development. W.D. Richter co-wrote Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, nice. And he directed The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Peter Weller. Yeah. Uh, he also wrote the 1979 Dracula, which is pretty great. Um, and he wrote uh, Needful Things, the 1993 uh, movie, which I enjoyed. Yes. Uh, book is better. Book is better. Stephen King's Needful Things. Movie is decent. I need to see the movie again. It's been a minute. So mad props to W.D. Richter, uh, who wrote the screenplay. Now, Mike, I must talk about Nimoy's character because... I am kind of torn about something. Okay. 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 David Kibner. At what point has he turned? Like, I almost think he's already turned when they're at the fucking book party. How about that? Hmm. I mean, he's showing, he doesn't have that detached, aloof demeanor that everyone else that was turned has. No, but he is quick to kind of tell everybody that you're crazy, that no one has changed, that you've changed, that this is, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's not, he's not accepting at face value all these people who are walking or including his friends who are telling him shit is fucking weird right now in the city. He's trying to kind of calm everybody down and he's very calm. Now, that's, that can be seen as just a rational, normal guy who hasn't become a pod person yet. Or, again, I, I'm a little uncertain, is that him 
shutting everybody down a bit because he himself is a part of the the monsters already, so to speak. I'm going to say that he is not yet a pod person at that point. He's just being like, uh, I mean, think about it. You know, if you're like, you know, you're some, you know, like touchy feely therapist with like, Mm -hmm. he's got that sketchy like leather thing on his hand. Did you notice that? Oh, I I learned that. I learned even about that. (laughs) Um, He came, uh, Nimoy came up with that idea. That is a sleeve for people with carpal tunnel. His character has carpal tunnel syndrome. How about that? Man? Wow. Yes. That's amazing. That man. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. That is a. That's for carpal tunnel sufferers. I didn't know that. Uh, again, there's this great thing on YouTube, people. I, I can't think of the name of it. If you just search "Evasion of the Body Snatchers" 1978, some fan, a British fan, did this awesome 30-minute fucking rundown mainly of the 78 movie but he touches on the three other films as well and it's really cool and that is how i learned that nimoy came up with that idea and brought it to the director and they were like oh yeah that's cool okay yeah we'll we'll post it on the facebook page chef when this episode goes up we'll put it yeah. up there so you guys to check it out because i, I want to yeah. see it too i didn't i didn't I haven't seen this yeah okay get, getting back to kibner i think mm-hmm. that he just is like you guys are out of your mind he's like fucking pod people are taking over the court <laughs> and that's like just everyone don't worry about it like we're everything's cool that's what but i think look, his take is on it. <laughs> he but mike and listeners he does it in a way that when you see the movie like in this really interesting way of making you believe him right like it's like yeah. okay man, yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I just think that it's because I'm so tripped out seeing him express emotions that, mm. that he's not Spock. That's what kind of fucks me up in the movie a little bit. Well, as I'm watching this, you know, I'm, I'm reminded that it's late 1978. And what is Leonard Nimoy doing in 1978 as well? He is hosting In Search Of at this time. That's right. That was he a cool had that In Search Of look. He's got like the kind of the full head of hair and the swagger and... I mean, you know, uh, for the younger listeners, In Search Of was this weekly show that was all about, like, cryptozoology, unexplained phenomena, UFOs, cults. Uh, Seek it out. Uh, It it got uh, revised in the O's for a little while. I can't remember that host's name. But the uh, late 70s into the early 80s, In Search Of is fantastic. I actually have the DVD box set, Mike. Um, that, that's a great, great thing to have. Man. I loved that show when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Nimoy in this movie has, has, has a little bit of that vibe going on. But you're right. It, it was interesting to see him as like a human being. For a time, because he, once he does turn, it's like he's evil Spock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like really good at being a pod person, I think. Yeah. Well, he had all that practice, you know what I mean? Being a Vulcan, you know? Totally, totally. So people are, are not who they seem to be. Um, you know, all these weird things are happening in the city. And there's just this wonderful buildup of tension in the movie. You know, um, whereas it, it seems like you, you don't know who to trust anymore. And that is one of the major tenets of this film. Paranoia, Mike, right? 
exactly. That's uh, probably, I'm sure that someone out there has uh, tried to say that this movie was about, you know, basically about paranoia and, you know, mm-hmm. government control and all this other stuff. But, uh, right. you know, there's when one the other thing. Dropped, I'm the, sorry. When the original movie. dropped, uh, it was in the late 50s and it was akin to the communism hysteria. Yeah. And I could totally see that. And if you see that, if, if you're aware of the political climate back then, um, and you watch the movie, you could definitely perhaps defer that. Okay, yeah, I, I get that. Uh, however, uh, Don Siegel said, "No, nope, I just wanted to make a scary movie that would disturb people." Good. And that okay. the, the communism thing was something that the, the, the viewers kind of, and like the reviewers, and you know, like the people who studied it, they kind of came away with. And he's like. No, I just, I wanted to make a scary movie. <laughs> um, and he succeeded. But for this 70s movie, it, you could, it's almost like a reaction to, obviously not communism, but it's almost a reaction to the whole kind of me generation, new agey thing that was going on as well. Like that, that ties into this movie, I think, Mike. The whole, that whole scene in, in the bookshop with Nimoy and Nimoy's character and the characters in the movie, I think that that searching, that spiritually searching kind of vibe that was happening in the 70s uh, is, is present, you know? Definitely. Um, the hairstyles, like the way everyone's dressed, very 70s, you know? Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, but I think people were, I don't know, it was the 70s was a kind of a reaction to the 60s, right? And... I think people got a bit more in tune with themselves or they tried to be in tune with themselves and a bit more selfish. Um, but this movie though, man, I don't know. It just, it just kind of knocks you on your ass. It's like, is it about conformity? Like it, it could go in so many different ways. I just wanted to mention one quick thing too, is uh, Donald Sutherland is driving around with a car in a car with a broken windshield for the entire Film. yes <laughs> which i thought was hysterical it was when um, the, the guy like the guy that was running down the street breaks his windshield and then you there's re- multiple scenes of him driving around with the, with the broken windshield <laughs> and that guy is is none other than the star of the original kevin mccarthy uh who uh you know warns them um you know well he, he smashes on the windshield however i'm gonna i'm gonna backtrack myself the windshield is broken uh, the movie has s- some moments of humor. Uh, a bottle of wine is thrown at his car uh, because he is, uh, you know, checking restaurants. He's basically oh, like health inspector. That's right. That's how it gets broken. Yeah. And all the restaurants hate the health inspector. And this particular French restaurant hates his guts uh, because he found like a, a, a rat turd in the food and it kind of fucked up their restaurant and their, you know, their rating and whatnot. So one of the cooks threw a bottle of wine at his car while he was inside the restaurant. And you're right, he he does not get it fixed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes me like him even more, actually. Yeah, th- I mean, th- there's a few other spots of humor. Uh, I mean, Jeff Goldblum's character is kind of a funny guy. Like, you know, he's like, he knows something is up, too. These are all very smart people in this movie, Mike. There are no dummies in this movie. That's true. Like the, the, the group of friends, the four people are like smart, young, professional people, uh, e- even though like 
you know, Goldblum is a, a bit of a jokester. He, he's a writer and educated and, you know, they, they're like these kind of likable people who are stuck in this kind of nightmare in their city and kind of either nobody believes them because they've turned themselves or they're fucking, you know, trying to save their own lives by dodging the fucking, you know, horrible people. <laughs> Some of the coolest scenes in this movie, man, we were getting back to the special effects, is the depiction of uh, the pod people and the, you know, these like flowers from out of space. And mm. that whole, that whole thing is actually real creepy and kind of terrifying, actually. Yeah. I mean, basically what happens is once you've kind of been in contact with one of like the flowers or the pods, it kind of gets your essence and kind of unbeknownst to you, it is recreating you, right? Yeah. Um, what, I, what I was a little uncertain of is that, it, I guess it had to be initially while you were sleeping, right? Like you come in contact with it, and then that night or whatever, once you've slept, that's when the, the, the you know, your clone or whatever kind of kicks off. Um, but once your clone is fully formed, you basically only have a certain amount of time before you yourself die. Is that is that correct? Yeah, it's you just you're fucked. Like once once this thing fully awakens, you're it's all right. it's all over for you. And then yeah. You just kind um, of like shrivel up into nothing basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um which is why like uh Jeff Goldblum's character is is basically the the first of the four uh you know the uh the, the main crew of people. I mean, he his pod person kind of hatches while he's alive. And it, it, you know, I hated to kind of see his character go. That's the thing. You like all the characters and you don't want any of them to get, you know, to, to get killed really, you know? Yes. But you definitely have empathy for these people. Uh, it, it, it's not like today where you don't give a rat's ass about anybody in a movie, <laughs> which I myself, I'm quite guilty of. I gotta be completely honest. Uh, <laughs> not, not every movie. I'm not going to shit on all modern horror movies. I'm not that guy, but the empathy is there and it's it's really strong i think in this movie and it's it's strong in a lot of movies of the 70s you know um but the thing is they're just i mean i don't know if they're like plot holes or just like just things that i i get a little fuzzy on about like some of the transformations and about like what it takes to kind of you know what the parameters are and i, I hope i explained it well because that's that was kind of my take on it, you know? Well, I'll with read the, the book movie. and I'll let you know, man. I'll follow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like with the whole sleeping thing and, yeah. and you know, um, which actually kind of explains why th there's a scene where the four of them are in uh, either Sutherland's house or Brooke Adams' house. And like all four of them are, are like starting to hatch in this fucking greenhouse already. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really sick. Like, it's just like, again, it, the effects are kind of, you know, primitive. I mean, it's 40-something-year-old movie, but they just look really good, and they definitely give you, like, a shiver, you know? I, I think the effects are great, actually. I mean, I, I um, you know, I mean, yeah, they're old. I mean, if you're not, you know, if, you're, if you were born in the year 2000 and you're watching this movie, you probably yeah, right, right. won't really appreciate it. But I think they look awesome, and it's very effective, and... If you you know if you're if you're into uh, you know practical effects, it's it's fucking awesome. Hell yes. 
Oh, and I, I want to give props. Uh, the score is by De- Denny Zeitlin. Um, really great music. Uh, I'm going to try to seek out the fucking vinyl. Uh, it might have been reissued at this point, but I, I feel like I haven't heard about any kind of reissue. Um, but again, you know, a, a lot of this movie is, you know, they're, they're kind of on the run. And like, there's a moment where like Donald Sutherland is, is calling the police and the police already know it's him. Yeah, that was that was actually pretty pretty scary that part. Yeah, yeah, they knew his name, they knew his address, and he's like, "How do you know my name? How do you know my name? How do you know my address?" Like, it's just again like the the mounting kind of like dread, you know, like you, you kind of know this is not going to end well for anybody, <laughs> but you're still rooting for everybody, right? Yeah. Um. And then, like, one by one, everybody kind of succumbs to it. And, like, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams are kind of like the, the last two, or so we think. Uh, it appears that Veronica Cartwright is also gone, but she actually makes an appearance at the end of the movie. She, uh, she has fooled them. There is a way to fool the pod people, everybody. So if this actually happens, we've got to keep this in mind. Uh, show no emotion whatsoever. No laughing no yelling, no anger, no motion, and talk in a very monotone voice, right, Mike? Yeah, so she was able to kind of, you know, work work these people, the pod people a little bit, you know, and, and mm-hmm. kind of blend in. Yes, that's how you blend in. And walk walk very like not zombieish, but walk robotic. <laughs> like they walk kind of like like in a robotic, you know, cult like walking. Like, you know what I'm saying? Just yeah. very, you know. In, in in unison, uniform kind of walking. That actually does pull them. Uh, but if you, like, stub your toe or something while you're walking with them, you're screwed. And you yell out, like, you know, you're fucked. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that I felt so bad once they captured uh, the two of them, Sutherland and Brooke Adams, and they're, they're in, like, the, the office, and Nimoy is explaining to them, you know, that they should just accept it. And that there's no more love, there's no more hate. It's just like it's real heavy, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Fucking great scene. And uh, then like she she kisses him, and she's like, you know, I don't want to live in a world without love or whatever. And you know, like it's just like you you know that like you know the clock is kind of running down. But they, they actually do manage to escape, uh, surprisingly. Uh, and the, the, the Sutherland's character puts quite quite a damper on uh, the operation of the pod people in one scene where he causes like this big fire and this big explosion and uh, him and uh, Elizabeth kind of, you know, are on the run and they're trying not to fall asleep actually. That's so Let fucked me... up, man. That, that, yeah, that's like yeah. one of the things, man. It's like if being so tired and you're trying to stay awake. It's so brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, reminiscent of uh, nightmare on Elm street, of course, yeah, you know, that's right. You have to sleep. Um, but uh, poor Elizabeth, she she's kind of uh, her pod person has kind of already been underway uh, a little earlier on in the movie, and they were just kind of waiting for her to fall asleep, and then she does, and like you know, like the, the look on Sutherland's face, he's just like you just feel so fucking bad for him because it's just kind of the two of them that are, are all that's left, and now it's just him, and it's like fuck, you know. You know, and, and and he always kind of carried the torch for her, man. Like going back to the beginning of the movie, you know, there was like, you know, they they had this burgeoning 
love love relationship that you know could have been great if the world wasn't being taken over by pod people that is yes and she they they tell she tells him that she loves him in, in the scene where they're kind of getting captured uh after nimoy talks about no more love um <laughs> which uh, a lot of great moments of nimoy's character could be sampled mike for uh for, for some, you know you know, I was thinking the same thing, actually. Yeah, you modify the voice, drop the pitch a little bit. You know, it'd be cool. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, you know, for uh, for your extreme metal needs, it's definitely, this, this is a metal movie. This is definitely like a death metal, black metal, like fucking heavy vibe, dark movie. Would you agree? A hundred percent. I actually ordered the Blu-ray. It should be here uh, next week at some point. Like, yes, there's a, there's a nice, uh, a new, brand new Blu-ray of it out uh, that supposedly is fucking awesome. Uh, there was a Shout Factory one a couple of years back that I believe went out of print. That, that's actually the one movie. I'm getting. That's the Shout oh, Factory okay. one. Yeah, it has a sick... Uh, a new yeah. It's got really great extras on it and stuff. Sick. Um, so... You know, Sutherland is kind of the last one standing, of course. Uh, there is a great scene uh, a little before this uh, where we see a character. There was this uh, man in a park who played guitar who had a dog. And for some reason, uh, amidst all the chaos of the city, you, you see the dog with the, the, uh, the guy's head. Like, they don't explain that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's like one of the only things I was like, how would that happen, man? Really? Um, maybe, like, because you do see the dog and the man in the park asleep together at one point. Maybe, I don't know, the, the pod person got mixed up and took a little bit of one from column A and a little bit more from column B. That's kind of all I could think of. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not buying that, but I just think that they were like, yeah, man, it would be cool if we had a you know, dog with the dude's head. You know, and that's fine, too. You know, but I yeah, just... Yeah. Um, that was a scene, you know, from the, when they would show it on TV that they always showed. And as a kid, oh, my God, it fucked me up for some reason. Like, I always hated that scene as a kid. <laughs> um, so, you know, Sutherland is the last one standing. Uh, he, he, he unfortunately, he kills Brooke Adams, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's another heartbreaking scene. Um, and we cut to kind of the daytime uh, the, the next morning, and uh, we see Veronica Cartwright's character, Nancy, and she is alive. Uh, you know, you think she's kind of dead, but she's alive, and she's still uh, managing to fool everybody. She's doing a great job of showing no emotions, and she sees Sutherland's character, who we're like, oh, okay, so he got through the night too. Okay, okay, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're going to meet up, and Sutherland sees her, and he picks up his finger, and he opens his mouth, and he, of course, is a pod person and makes this horrible sound. And then Veronica starts screaming. And the movie fades to black. And to make a very heavy ending even heavier, there's no music after that, Mike. There's there, just black. one of the best endings ever, in my opinion. Yeah. One of the greatest endings. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the lack of music at that point, too, is just the titles, you know, title cards coming up and it's just a black screen and it's like whoa man the world is fucked like you know there, it's not a happy ending basically th this movie is telling you that yeah the aliens won we're all gonna die 
everybody's fucked. <laughs> you know, typical 70s horror ending, which is why the 70s horror movies are so great. Very nihilistic. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it'd be interesting to study why 70s horror, and particularly, you know, like, why were these movies so dark and heavy and nihilistic, right? I mean, there's, I mean I'm mean, i sure there's, there's books about it. I'm sure there have been studies about it. Um, but they certainly were. Yeah, I just think there was a lot of disillusionment during the 70s, maybe with uh, the result of the Vietnam War and you know, mm -hmm. all yeah. that kind of stuff. Because, yeah, I mean, the 70s were, were uh, noted by gritty, nihilistic movies, you know, dark. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of major cities had uh, financial problems. A lot of major cities had bad crime back then. Of course, New York, New York, York yep. and Los Angeles. Um, I believe there was a, a lot of unemployment going on in, in certain portions of the 70s. Um, and it was kind of maybe the, the, the big promises of the late 60s that didn't kind of come to fruition, perhaps, you know? Yeah. I would agree with that. Interesting, though. I mean, it made for fucking such good art. It made for such good films. And not even just horror movies, just films in general. I mean, just the 70s, I don't know, man. I, I, I may, you may have to quote me. It might be some of the just the best movies ever were made in the decade of the 70s. Just period. Well, certainly it was some of my favorites. You know, you got like all, you know, Scorsese's output, you know, like uh, yeah. Stanley Kubrick, you know, like it's so, so many great movies came out of the 70s. And even there's great comedy films in the 70s as well. I mean, uh, oddly enough, uh, Sutherland was making Animal House around at the same time he was making this movie. How about that? <laughs> Very different <laughs> films, but yeah, it's yes. equally good. Animal House is one of the comedies I actually like. Oh, God, it's great. Yeah. Listeners, Mike Hill hates comedy. He's not a comedy guy. Doesn't like it. No. There's a handful. Like There's a short list of comedies I enjoy. What about Mel Brooks, Mike? I fuck with Mel Brooks. You know, he's all right. In the world? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Blazing Saddles? That's, that's a classic. Okay. What about the early 80s Eddie Murphy films? 48 Hours, Beverly Hills Cop? You, you know, some of the, those are good. You know what it is? I'm not much of a stand-up comic guy. Mm -hmm. I think there's some comedy films I enjoy, but not so much into stand-up comedy. Got it. Okay, fair enough. Before we started tonight, my kid was talking about how, yeah, I, I don't like comedy. I don't like comedy. <laughs> what a shock. You would never know it by listening to his podcasts and his music. You'd never know it. It reeks of, it reeks of jokes. Come on. Everything's a joke. But, uh, yeah, heavy-ass movie, five fucking stars. Uh, wonderful film, Mike. Five stars for me. Five stars for me also, and this is definitely in the upper echelon of, of horror films, horror slash sci-fi. You know, there's some yeah. science fiction element to this too. Uh, definitely, yeah, um, definitely upper echelon for me. Totally, totally. And like I said, I'm, I'm putting it up there with the remake greats, The Thing, you know, The Fly, and this one. Um, I mean, 
this movie is an example of, of a major studio, United Artists, with a great cast uh, and a great script, and just making a serious film based on on fiction. You know what I'm saying? Like that. It, it's it's classy. This is a classy film, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you could just watch it as a great film and enjoy it too. Aside from all the horror elements. Yes, um, it's smart. The acting is is great. The script is great. The music is great. The effects are great. I mean, I don't know what the fuck else do I have to say. I mean, I just I wish, I wish we could see something like this today. Like just a very serious horror film with maybe like you know modern a-listers like it just that doesn't really happen you know like it's weird well, well who would you have in there that's a modern a-lister i mean i don't know like i it, it's weird look look i don't want to see like you know you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna take a step back imagine like brad pitt okay or George Clooney in a serious modern horror film. Well, Brad Pitt now, as a yeah. as a guy in his actor in his fifties, mm -hmm. I think would do great in a film like this. Or young Brad Pitt, no, no. Oh, agree, agree a hundred percent. I but agree a hundred. Older, mature Brad Pitt, yes. I mean, he um, was in uh, Ad, that that film Ad Astra was excellent, and he was great. Yeah, there. I need to see that. I need to see that. But yes, I'm I'm agreeing with you that on that 100%. I mean, okay, uh, back in like 94, we had Interview with the Vampire. It was a major, major Hollywood film with big stars in it and, and whatnot, and it, it did well. And uh, I forget what, what's the the girl who played the little vampire. Uh, she still acts today. Um, what's her name? The actress. From uh, what? From what movie? From Interview with the Vampire. Who, who, who she was the little girl in the movie who played the young girl vampire. Hold on, I have to look it up because I'm trying to make a point here. She still acts today. Hold on one second. She's in about a million movies. It's just going to take me one second, listeners, because I'm trying to make a point. Well, anyway, this actress, whose name is going to come to me right now, <laughs> Kirsten Dunst, who played Oh, Clark. yeah, of course. Yeah, she's great. Kirsten Dunst, uh, when making... A, Another film a few years back remarked about how, you know, someone mentioned it to the vampire to her. And she said, yeah, they don't make movies like that anymore. And what she meant by like, like the scope and the budget and, you know, in relation to like horror, like they don't like they're not sinking what they kind of sunk in 94 into a horror movie in 2021 as far as just the whole kind of package, you know. Yeah, that and, and uh, Bram, Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know, were like large scale, right. like big budget and films. And Silence of the Lambs. And and Silence of the Lambs. What are all these movies have in common? They have, they're all old. They're all from the early to mid 90s. And I don't know, like Malignant, which is, you know, it, it's, it's a Hollywood film and it's got a big buzz on it and it, it's doing, it did well. It's. There's no stars in the movie. Dude, you know me, it's not, you know, me and Jeff like, fucking destroyed that movie, man. So. Oh, see, now, oh, my God. I have so many things to say about it. I, <laughs> say it. I have so many things to say about it. I enjoyed the first hour of the movie, by the way. I enjoyed the beginning. Um, I thought it just 
completely went bonkers and fell apart. Although some people apparently really appreciated it for getting really bonkers and going crazy at the end and retarded and whatever. But I just, oh, anyway, I know it's for the next episode and the listeners were going to hear it, but you know, that's not this, you know? <laughs> um, and like uh, conjuring 24 is not this. And maybe someday soon, or maybe never, uh, we could see like a classy, big budget horror film with some stars in it. I don't know. Are we never going to see that again? Well, I do think that horror is, you know, for lack of a better term, becoming more respected in the larger scale, like with, with stuff like, uh, you know, like The Witch and um, you know, right. Black Coat's Daughter and like all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? And, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, so, yeah, I, I mean, they, they kind of did that a little bit with. Uh, yeah, in, in a way. Like, The Invisible Man is an uh, a film you and I really enjoyed, is an example of modern Hollywood horror done well. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I, I wish they would do more and at a larger scale. Yes, yes. I want to see more of it, and I want to see, you know, uh, exactly. Maybe instead of just one big star in it, which kind of was what that movie was, you know, yeah, you know, why not like an ensemble cast? Like, I don't know. I, I feel like Hollywood isn't isn't taking these risks anymore because that day might be have passed. But but who the fuck knows, man? I don't know. Yeah, I maybe mean, something's gonna work. You know, Hereditary had uh, you know, I mean, Tony Collette's not a huge yeah. star, but you know, she's like a very well known actor actress. Mm -hmm. She's an example. I mean, that movie is an example of like a a, a curveball, and. It, it it fucking worked, man. I mean, that movie that movie did well. It got wonderful reviews. It got a lot of props. I mean, it didn't make millions and millions and millions of dollars. I mean, it did well, but that is kind of what we're getting close to. Like, you know, what I'm saying more of like that. Right, and I think you know? that Hereditary. I know, I know, Rennie out there doesn't agree with with, with any of this stuff, but uh -huh. I thought that was a fine movie, and I thought that yeah. it's like kind of in the same realm of quality, but not, not, it doesn't hit the same, the same marks in my opinion as mm -hmm. invasion of the body snatchers. Cause I mean, just like, if you look at just the, the, the cast and in invasion of the body snatchers, you got, you know, these fucking top shelf, you know, Leonard Nimoy, who at the time, mm -hmm. you know, he was on TV. He was a star Trek guy, you know, you know, Donald Sutherland, like that's like, Big, yeah, name, big name, popular actors of the time. That's what yeah. I'd like to see is like, but I, I'm challenging that notion by saying that I don't think like, like Jeff Goldblum was probably in his like 24 when he was in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm -hmm. Or like late 20s. Yeah. I mean, find, his, find his me star someone, was rising. Yeah. His star was rising back then. Find, find me a, an actor of that age group today that is the same level as him he, as he was in the seventies. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, You're hard pressed. You know, these, these superhero actor people, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, I, again, some of them are great, but some of them it's like, yeah, whatever. 
You know, I, they, they can't carry a serious fucking movie, man. You know what I'm saying? You know who, who I, I give a lot of credit to, and this is, you know, mainly because I'm a fan of American Horror Story, is mm-hmm. Evan, Evan Peters is a powerhouse actor, in my opinion, man. I think that okay. guy is fucking good. Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, for all we know, something that I'm talking about and hinting at might even be at, at play. I know they had big plans for for this whole universal thing and it keeps changing and happening and not happening. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. I feel like if they could fucking hammer that shit out and get some star power behind it and get some money behind it and good scripts behind it, it could change the fucking game, you know? Yeah, that's that. I mean, first we got to get out of this COVID shit. And, yeah. and I think that it could be exactly what you're you're getting at. You know, like a new, a brand new Dracula, a new Frankenstein, new, yeah, new Wolfman. Especially know. Dracula and the Wolfman in particular. I mean, there's, I just, there's still great movies to be made there. You know, uh, for for a, a new modern audience and for you know, what I'm saying like you know, I I adore the classics, but it would be interesting to see where we could take that. You know. But who knows? Maybe horror is where it belongs. Not big budget, not major, major studio. It's just, it all depends on your taste. But when I see a movie like this, I think I get a little nostalgic and I, and I think about, well, where's the modern equivalent? And, you know, it's just, it's personal, I guess. It's a personal take. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of great horror that's coming out. It's just that it's like a little bit more obscure, though. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Seder I thought was great. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of cool, like, films, but they're like, they're smaller movies, though. You know what I mean? They're lower budget. They're like, you know, made by these filmmakers who have like a vision, you know, but they just don't, they haven't quite hit that budget yet. You know what I mean? Right. But uh, it's going to be interesting. Listeners, I want to know what you think. Is the, is the era of, of the Hollywood horror film, quality Hollywood horror film over? Or has it just, or is it going to begin again? Because we are seeing money made with the malignance of the world, and and there are these there are these buzzes around some of these movies, you know, with your hereditaries and whatnot, and are seeds being planted now, or is you know, or has that time kind of passed and horror is kind of where it needs to be? I'm interested to see what listeners think. Yeah, let let us know. Hit us up on uh, you know the different social media channels and whatever. Maybe we should start a thread maybe on the Facebook page or something about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely, uh, once this episode airs, I'm definitely going to post that cool uh, featurette thing I saw on YouTube that talks about all four Invasion movies. And uh, yeah, it was very cool to watch. Um, This was a fun episode, Mike. Yeah, I had a great time, as usual. Yes. uh, Again, the detours are a part of the ride if you're a new listener. Sometimes Mike and I will talk about music for 25 minutes. Tonight it was comic books for yeah, a man. good time, and uh, and I like the wrap up. I like when we when we talk about just you know the the impact of film and and where horror has been and where horror has gone, and I, I think that's interesting. Now our next episode is a big milestone, man. We finally hit episode 100. Yes, unbelievable, man. Who would have thought, Michael? I didn't think we'd ever make it to 100 episodes. I didn't think we'd make it to 100 either. I mean, there are these really garbage podcasts that are in like the 200s. And here we have our podcast that has 
a modest, you know, but sincere, earnest podcast uh, has has hitting a milestone, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm glad glad we're still doing it, and uh, many more to come. Yes, and uh, thank you all so much for the support and the continued support. Tell a friend. Be sure to subscribe on either Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts, of course. And uh, join in on the fun on our Instagram page, Necromaniacs, or our Facebook page, Necromaniacs Podcast. And uh, thank you. Take care, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Mm -hmm.